Interested in investing but don't know where to begin? A great place to start is Bank of Ireland's new webinar series, Invested. You can learn about investing with live webinars, guides and insights from industry experts. We know you've worked hard for your money and with our expert support, it can work harder for you. So don't rest it, invest it. Visit bankofireland.com invested. Bank of Ireland, begin. Terms and conditions apply. Bank of Ireland is a tied agent of New Ireland Assurance Company PLC trading as Bank of Ireland Life for Life Assurance and Pensions Business. Members of Bank of Ireland Group. Bank of Ireland Trading as Bank of Ireland Insurance and Investments is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Now Ireland takes over the chairing of the Council of Europe for the next six months we're responsible for steering the entity of course 46 member states 27 of those members of the European Union and I'm joined by Mairead McGuinness European Commissioner of Financial Services or for Financial Services Financial Stability and Capital Markets Union Mairead does the chairmanship of the uh, Council of Europe mean anything? Well of course it does but I think it's often confused with the European Union and I mean that's easily done but the Council of Europe um, I suppose we and the European Union, we share the same fundamental values around human rights, rule of law and democracy, but they're very separate entities. I mean, we know what the European Union is. I mean, the Council of Europe is, is a bigger organisation. It's international. It's based in Strasbourg, 46 countries, and it was set up to promote democracy and protect human rights again and the rule of law. And of course, it's, it's good that Ireland has the chair now at these sensitive times. So while we are very separate, I think a lot of our work is around those issues, uh, perhaps more than ever now because of the war that Russia is um, involved in in Ukraine and the horrible aggression that's happening there. But, but we are different entities. But we've seen the challenge that there has been in trying to get consensus among all 27 um, member states who are in uh, the Council of Europe. What are the chances with, with an additional, uh, um, whatever, 16 or 20 to get anything resembling coherent decisions made? Well, I can't really give a definitive answer to that because I've never been on the Council of Europe. So in a sense, I can only talk about the European Union and how we manage to agree things. I mean, the point you make about how do you get people to agree, we've had five packages, as you know, with sanctions uh, addressing the war in Ukraine, both on Russia and Belarus. Uh, We're working on a sixth package. Um, From the very beginning, I think there was a very, very strong commitment to unity of purpose and strength of action. And the more we go down that road, the more difficult it is, but there is still strong unity and sense of purpose around what we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, the only comment I'd make about the Council of Europe is that Russia is now not there anymore, um, which perhaps will allow for an easier debate amongst those countries that are there. But as I say, I have never been a member of it. I know there are colleagues uh, in the Oireachtas who are and have been, and it's certainly a very good forum for debate and uh, I suppose it's bigger than just the European Union. So it has that international dimension. It's important now and I'm sure um, the, the, the chair, um, Ireland being in the chair, puts the country in a pivotal position around the future of, I suppose, the, the progress or, or otherwise of this war, the potential for peace. And maybe very importantly, an agenda that we're trying to address the uh, security side, the energy security, and globally, food insecurity, because we know that uh, Vladimir Putin is targeting food production, food stores, uh, food producing equipment in his um, attacks in Ukraine. So he's hitting farm yards and silos and all of those things. 
And that, in my view, is a deliberate uh, effort to reduce the supply of vital grains for the global market, hitting the most vulnerable and therefore causing uh, disruption, uh, social unrest. And that's why we in the European Union with our allies in the US and elsewhere are trying to work on that to avoid the worst consequences, including uh, we're trying to get grain out of Ukraine. Can I go back a bit to the the involvement of of Russia in in European democracy over the past while? Because there there is evidence, some of it disputed, but there is fairly significant evidence of direct Russian involvement, both in uh, American elections and in the uh, Brexit campaign. To what degree do you think Russia has been meddling in European democracy and undermining, if at all, the systems of of democracy and the faith in democracy across the European Union? Well, I think we all would concur with the comments you made. I think there is uh, evidence uh, and we are aware that Russia has been, I suppose, working behind the scenes. I mean, I think the decision to go to war wasn't an overnight one. Um, if you look at, uh, if you take, for example, what Europe did, we, we traded with Russia and to some extent Germany in particular for energy security reasons had that relationship with Russia around the supply of gas. As one of my colleagues would say, the policy then was to trade with Russia in the hope that that would bring them closer to our, I suppose, our values and our way of doing business. And that policy has failed. So whatever about Russia in the past and what it does, and we know cyber attacks and all of those things can be traced back to the country, we're now in a situation where we have to look at today and the future, given that we've had a sundering, if you like, uh, globally, that while people were talking about the potential for an escalation, a conflict in Ukraine, um, we really did not think it would go that far. Uh, equally, I don't think Russia expected it to last this long. But what about on the other side of it, though, whatever about the the war in Ukraine, the situation for European democracy and the EU, we're now at a position where one of the most significant members of the European Union has humped off unceremoniously and is no longer part of the Union. We have the rise of anti-European Union sentiment across some of the significant member states. And at least from the outside... It looks like the the mechanisms and the bureaucracy of the EU is doing precious little to counter that. Well, I think I wouldn't use your verb about humped off. I mean, the UK had a referendum and people voted to leave so that you have to accept democracy. I also wouldn't agree with your summation of the mood now about an anti-European sentiment. Look at the French elections. I think um, Le Pen wasn't as anti-European. She didn't say Frexit. She was trying to suggest that if she became president, they would change things internally. Um, so I don't. I, I think the mood has changed because of Brexit. I think there's an understanding. If you talk to people in, in the UK who used to trade with Europe, they're not able to do that in, in the way they could, and some of them have had to stop. So I think that that has, has really, it's not as hot a topic now, even though within Europe, there will always be a discussion within member states and between member states, and there's always election campaigns issues get raised. To your point around bureaucracy, I mean, it's, a, it's something that's thrown at the building I'm speaking to you from now, the Berlimont here in Brussels. But actually, you need rules to trade. You need certainty for businesses to make progress. 
Um, so I think it's, it's used, I probably used that term myself when I was a member of the European Parliament about bureaucracy. Um, so whatever you call it, you do need to know where you stand in relation to all sorts of areas of the way we live and the way we do But, but whatever about the... And the, maybe the, that's to the, the point... Sorry, I didn't mean to be pejorative by suggesting that, 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 that there was anything negative in the term bureaucracy, but there was a time when mm-hmm. the European Union made its relevance known and made its significance known that seems lesser now. If you go back to an Irish context now, accepted money was flowing in our direction at the time. But around the EU, the structural funding, cohesion funding, interreg funding, peace and reconciliation funding, all of that came with big communications campaigns, billboards, announcements. So people knew there is tangible involvement from the European Union. You saw European Union um, locations set up in Ireland to open the doors and try to get people to understand what membership meant. It's very hard to see the evidence of that kind of active attempt to get people behind something of significant value. Or am I missing something? Well, no, I think you, you you wrote an interesting article recently, I think, on this very point. So it's, it's something I'm really interested in. Ireland is 50 years in the European Union. And yes, in the early days, we had great visibility. We have turned from being one of the less well-off to now being part of the better-off countries. And we're a net contributor to the budget. But in, in countries that have joined recently, there would be more visibility around structural funds, cohesion funds, and there would be that communication piece around it. I think that uh, the discussion now, as you look at the conference on the future of Europe, which was about bringing people into the conversation about what they want for the future, I I think there is an understanding now, maybe because of Brexit, certainly with this war in Ukraine, that the things we took for granted, like peace, security, stability, um, even the COVID crisis, I think, disrupted our our confidence uh, as the developed world, that you can be hit by uncertainties, and that in those moments that nations going alone just is failures. Look what happened in the beginning of the COVID crisis. I mean, Europe was all over the place. We were not coordinated. And in fact, it was the president of the commission, Ursula von der Leyen, who really put her foot down and said, look, if we are fragmented, this is going to be disastrous. We have to pull together. So health, which wasn't our competence, became part of our normal day's work, including developing vaccines and COVID certificates. Now they are all, I suppose, things of the past almost because we're now masked less and things are more freer, but it took European united action to address that issue. And I think now we have to um, maybe speak about Europe in a different way. We're, we're now, sadly, in a much more fragmented world than we were in January of this year because of the war. If we look at the votes in the UN where, yes, Russia was um, you know, condemned, but not everybody is on the same page as the European Union or the US or Canada and Japan. And I think the developed world Uh, apart from needing to speak internally about Europe and its benefits, uh, also needs to have a conversation about um, where we are placed in the world and maybe listen to those who would disagree. And I go back to the point around food security because I think our neighbours, and they're very close to us here in Europe, um, they are being, if you like, told that this food insecurity problem is caused by Europe and the developed world. And that message is coming from Russia. And we have to be very conscious of that and careful to avoid the problem in the first place and not to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by this very negative narrative. My last point around communications, and I was a journalist in the past, you you know and I know that bad news travels fast, good news stays at home. On the other hand, if you look at the European Movement Survey of Irish People's Views of Europe, it's very strong. It's 
stronger than it was when over 80% voted in favour uh, of joining 50 years ago. So, yes, we need to communicate, but also I think as people, and I'm one of them, we need to not so much take everything for granted that we have today, because the foundations of what we have today, particularly on energy, are crumbling fast. The change we need because of climate uh, and addressing that require us to do things differently, but it's now more urgent because while we are going to try and wean ourselves off Russian fossil fuel, there could be a moment where Russia will decide itself to turn the tap off and we need to be ready for all of that. So the stakes are really high. The challenges are enormous. In my portfolio, we're responsible for sanctions, drafting and implementation, which is a huge part of our work. Well, can I ask you just, you bring up your own portfolio. I I just want to ask around that. One of the things, and we we talked earlier about Brexit and and the departure of the UK for the European Union. I think one (laughs) of the areas where there was an assumption of a possible opportunity (laughs) for the European Union was in the financial services area with the departure of the City of London from European Union uh, membership, uh, obviously through the UK. Do you think that the EU has sufficiently capitalised on the opportunity in financial services that exists? Well, two points. First of all, London was, excuse me, the centre of our financial sector when they were members, and now they're not. So what we've been trying to do are twofold. One is to make sure that we um, advance our own infrastructures on the financial system so that we're not less vulnerable. And there are particular areas where we are vulnerable at the moment. There is, if you like, um, over the last while since Brexit um, took hold, there are movements in um, the locations of offices, in shared trading. Uh, so there will not be one big centre in the European Union to replace London. I, I figure there will be a number of cities, including Dublin, that will be very important parts of the financial architecture of the EU27. Um, and I note this week the ECB even um, asked that UK financial houses have to move more of their people to the European Union. I mean, it is, it is still very hard for me to use the word third country for the United Kingdom. It's very hard even for me to get my head around that because the country hasn't moved, but its mindset has. And that's why, in a way, we need to understand, particularly with global upheavals, that we need to be in control of our own destiny. And I say that knowing very well that the UK, the US, the EU, Japan, and Canada are working very closely when it comes to Russian aggression. So we have this very, I suppose, strange scenario where we know that when there's an outside threat, we come together and the UK needs to be part of our conversations because of that outside threat, while at the same time we know that the UK has now a minister for Brexit opportunities, um, whatever that might mean, and therefore the, the discussion around taking back control, diverging from EU standards, scrapping EU rules, We have to watch what that actually means uh, in the real world scenario. I watch it from the point of view of the financial system. Other colleagues look at other areas where they are responsible for. Well, can I go back to one of those other areas? Brexit is only beginning to happen and beginning to, to, to feel its full impact. Gotcha. Just one final thing in, in closing. You mentioned mm-hmm. the possibility of preparing for Russia unilaterally cutting off oil and gas supplies. Obviously, if Russia sees the, the process of weaning happening, it may make that decision and say, well, let us foreshorten this process and cause you a big problem. How realistic a prospect do you think that is? Well, I think it, it depends on how long this war lasts. So let's, let's look, at, which is the, the sense we have now, that this is not going to end tragically for Ukraine and those that will 
have already lost their lives and people who've been displaced and the destruction is horrific. So if it goes into next winter um, and things get cool and that's when you need energy, that's why this week we launched very strong proposals around how we act more urgently to wean ourselves off Russian gas. When you ask, could it happen? We have to be prepared for every possible scenario. In one sense, we were aware that a war might happen, expected it not to, but we were preparing our sanctions team, for example, before the start of this year. So we have to be mindful that we do not know what goes on in the mind of Vladimir Putin. But certainly, if you look at what his track record is, you need to prepare for the worst. That's why there's a huge need to look at the planning around renewable energy projects, look at the financing of it, look at the coordination, look at getting supplies from elsewhere. So a huge body of work this week is now being implemented in our member states. The challenge is enormous, and I think people understand that. Uh, and equally, uh, the increase in the cost of, li of everyday living because of higher energy prices, which impacts higher fertilizer prices, which impacts food prices, and we have less food globally so that's uh, another part of this very difficult scenario. Yeah. I mean, we were coming out of COVID thinking we had faced the worst that you could ever face, a public health crisis. And within a moment, we're in a much worse case because this is war and it's war on European soil, very close to us with all of the consequences. Yes, it, that, that, that Chinese thing of uh, the, the cliche about living in extraordinary times. Mairead McGuinness, thank you very much. That is Mairead McGuinness, who is, of course, the uh, European uh, Commissioner with responsibility for financial services, financial stability and capital markets union. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk. Interested in investing but don't know where to begin? A great place to start is Bank of Ireland's new webinar series, Invested. You can learn about investing with live webinars, guides and insights from industry experts. We know you've worked hard for your money and with our expert support, it can work harder for you. So don't rest it, invest it. Visit bankofireland.com invested. Bank of Ireland, begin. Terms and conditions apply. Bank of Ireland is a tied agent of New Ireland Assurance Company PLC trading as Bank of Ireland Life for Life Assurance and Pensions Business. Members of Bank of Ireland Group. Bank of Ireland Trading as Bank of Ireland Insurance and Investments is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.